This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.tv. Our scripture reading this morning can be found in the book of Zephaniah, chapter 3, verses 9 through 13. Again, that's the book of Zephaniah, chapter 3, verses 9 through 13. For at that time I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshipers, the daughter of my dispersed ones, shall bring my offering. On that day, you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. For then I will remove from your midst your proudly exultant ones, and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. But I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly. They shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord, those who are left in Israel. They shall do no injustice and speak no lies, nor shall there be found in their mouth a deceitful tongue. For they shall graze and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. Good morning, First Press. Excited to be with you, and as we continue our series here in Zephaniah, um, we're just going to open the Lord with the word of prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, as we gather together in this place, we gather with you. We gather because of you, for you and you alone are worthy, Lord. You're worthy of our praise. You're worthy of all things because of of your very being. And yet, Lord, we see your character in the way in which you have dealt with us. We who are sinners, we who have rebelled, we who have transgressed against you, and yet you willingly sent your son to come and to bleed and to die for sinners such as us. Lord, you graciously care for us in every respect. You've given us the Holy Spirit who draws these things to remembrance, who teaches us the very scriptures, who convicts us, who empowers us. And so we're thankful for the gift and the work of the Spirit. We're thankful for the risen Lord who has ascended and sits even right now at the Father's right hand, making intercession for us. And we're thankful again for the Holy Spirit who prays when we don't even have the words. He prays for us on our behalf with utterances we can't even hear or understand. And yet, Lord, we know we can come boldly to your throne. We can come boldly as your children who've been forgiven by the blood of Christ. And so we do, we come boldly before you. We come as your children. We ask, Lord, that you would speak to us now. We pray for those in our congregation, Lord, that are struggling physically, those who are struggling emotionally, those who are struggling um, spiritually. God, we pray that you would minister to each need. And God, we know that you will, for you are a good and perfect God, a loving Father from heaven. And God, we know that 
the purpose of us gathering here is to sing your praises, but yet even in the midst of that, you change us, you conform us, you make us more like your son. And so we pray for that. We pray that we would be changed. So Lord, I pray that you would protect my mouth, that I would not say anything more nor less than you've given me to say. But God, I pray that I would be faithful to your word entirely this morning. Pray this in Jesus' name. God's people said, Amen. Friends, change is amazing. Change is amazing. In fact, I can find myself becoming absorbed in watching shows about home remodeling. I even watch the reruns again and again and again. There's something about seeing the before picture and the after, but you always got to wait for a commercial. You know, they, they stick a commercial in there, and you got to wait, and you're, and you're on the edge of your seat waiting for the other end of that so you can see the finished product. The truth of the matter is I especially uh, like shows that show the background story, the other side, the, the story of the family. In fact, one of those such shows is a story or a show called Extreme Makeover. How many of you are familiar with it? Yep. A guy by the name of Ty Pennington is the one who does that. Uh, Ty and his team uh, would set up and transform shacks into beautiful mansions, all the while telling you the background story of the family. The truth is that that would grip you. It would pull you in. And then you'd hear Ty say those famous words, move that bus. And you would just get chills as you would see the, uh, just the smiles of the families, the hugs, the tears, the joy. But the truth of the matter is I've often left those shows wondering, whatever happened to them? What about their lives? How has that bigger home changed them? And you know, the internet is a beautiful thing because you can learn anything on the internet. In fact, there is on the internet background stories of what happened after for the extreme makeover. And I'm going to tell you two this morning. The first is an example of a family who was only renting the home and they reached out to the ABC executives of Extreme Makeover with their story. And ABC purchased the home. They did a major remodel. They handed it off to the family. But in the end, the family lost the home that was newly remodeled because they couldn't afford the taxes on the new home. They couldn't afford the utilities. And so eventually the home went into foreclosure. That's a sad story, right? Or how about this one? There was a family that adopted three teenage boys who all had diseases. They lived in a deteriorating shack, and Extreme Makeover swept in and remodeled the home into this beautiful mansion. Yet a few years later, the family all divided. The dad left. The boys ended up in separate foster homes, all because of what they said was a verbally abusive and vindictive mom. One of the boys even remarked, I thought the new home would change her, but it didn't. These stories are sad. Because on the outward, it looked like everything changed. But inwardly, it didn't change them. See, house remodeling may clean up the outside, but we all need an internal change. The deep life remodel that only God can provide. And that's exactly what God does. He provides a total renovation, a total change. And that's what salvation is. It's a wonderful thing. Now today, we're going to explore the other side of the day of the Lord. 
Because that's what the story of our text is. It, it's the day of the Lord. And we've talked for many chapters about what the day of the Lord is in the sense of judgment and cursing and woe. But now we're actually going to talk about the day of the Lord on the other side, which is salvation and blessing and change. A change that is provided only by God. Look at verse 9. Verse 9 makes it very clear who is doing the changing. Who is the source of the change? Look at verse 9. For at that time, I will change the speech of the peoples. If you write in your Bibles, that's a great one to underline. I will change. God, God is the one who changes us. But this change that God provides isn't just cleaning up the outside. is isn't just adding a few rooms to your life. No, what God is actually doing, he's doing a total renovation. And it begins with the heart. Notice the language here in verse 9. For at that time I will change the speech of the peoples. Now if we don't look at that close enough, we begin to think that he's just changing the words that come out of our mouth to make it spiritual words or to make it, make it polished up clean words. But that's not what it's really saying. It's talking about the change of a heart so that what proceeds from the lips is pure. We see this in places like Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, which says, For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. See, God is the changer of men's hearts. And this is part of the change that God makes possible. It's part of the promise of the new covenant. All of the prophets of the old looked for the day when the change would come. They, they pictured it in very clear words. Hear the word of Ezekiel, a passage I quote often in verse, chapter 36, verse 26. He says, I will give them a new heart, a new spirit I will put within you. Guys, that's a big deal promise because he's changing us inwardly so that the change will begin to happen outwardly. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove your heart of stone from your flesh and I'll give you a heart of flesh. Friends, don't miss that this morning. That is a heart transplant. It's a whole different heart that we're given. He's not just polishing up the old heart. He's giving us a new heart. God com uh, completes a heart transplant where the heart of stone is removed and the heart of flesh is replaced. Our own confession of faith, the Westminster Confession in chapter 10, talks about this this way. It says, God taking away their heart of stone and giving them a heart of flesh renews their wills and by his almighty power determining them to that which is good. He empowers us now to live out that which is good because we've been given a new heart, this change. How many of you are familiar with the name Henry Ford? I hope so. If you're not, talk to a few of us. We'll inform you. Uh, Henry Ford is an automaker. Uh, it's a big deal here in Michigan. But how many of you are familiar with the name Charlie Stanmitz. Don't see any hands. Not surprised. Charlie wasn't a very attractive guy. But Charlie was special because Charlie was an electrical genius. And one day, Henry Ford asked Charlie to do him a favor. He said, I want you to build the generators for my factory in Dearborn. And so this genius went to work. And he built beautiful, high-capacity generators that empowered the plant there in Dearborn. Unfortunately, one day, the generators came to a halt. 
And all the Ford repairmen went to work, but they couldn't find the problem. So finally, Henry Ford picked up the phone and he called Charlie. He said, Charlie, you gotta come out. Something's wrong. The generators aren't working. Charlie came. For a few minutes, he looked. And then he began tinkering for an hour and maybe two. And then before you knew it, he threw the switch. And the generators were whirling back to life. Later on, Henry Ford received a bill from Charlie for $10,000. Flabbergasted, the tight-fisted Ford required in a letter, inquired in a letter, why is the bill so high for just a few hours of tinkering? To which Charlie replies, for tinkering with the generators, the bill was $10. For knowing where to tinker was $9,990. Hearing the reply, Henry Ford paid the bill and he said no more. Friends, we can tinker all we want, but we don't know what we're doing. We can try to tinker in other people's lives. We don't know what we're, how to fix them either. The bottom line is it's God and God alone who knows how to fix us, and he fixes us from the inside out. Change is God's work, not man's work. That's why in verse 9 it's very clear that God says, I will change. I will change them. See, they're in trouble up to this point. They're on their way to destruction to judgment because of their sin. We've been reading about that for many weeks, and now we come to a place where God's talking about changing them for the better. Let's look at the scope of this change. Back to verse 9, it says, For at that time I will change the speech of the people to a pure speech, and all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve Him with one accord. I want you to notice that this is a change of speech, but it's deeper than that. It's a picture all the way back to the Old Testament. Genesis chapter 11 is the story of the Tower of Babel. In verses 1 through 9, you can read about this story, but I'm going to read to you specifically the heart of the people who were building this tower in verse 4. They said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. Pride, arrogance, selfishness. That was the reason they built this tower, the Tower of Babel. And yet God responds in verse 7. Listen to what he says. Genesis eleven seven. he says, Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so they may not understand one another's speech. Confusion because of their heart, because of their wickedness, because of their efforts were about pleasing themselves and making much of themselves. And God says, I'm not going to have anything to do with it. That's very much the picture of the people during Zephaniah's day. They want to live and do things their own way. How does that mirror our day? People living for themselves. And yet God says, I'm not going to have anything to do with that. In Zephaniah's language isn't just simply about changing their language. It's about changing their heart. And notice their speech has been changed. That now they don't make much of themselves. They make much of God. They're worshiping God. They're they're honoring God with their lips, their pure lips. Friends, this is a picture of the end times, a picture of Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 10. Hear the words of Revelation 7. I looked and behold a great multitude that no one can number, from every nation, from every tribe, and peoples of every language. Notice the languages in heaven. Standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands. And what are they doing? They're crying out with a loud voice, saying, 
salvation or change belongs to our God who sits in the throne and to the Lamb. Salvation, change belongs to the Lamb. They sing his praises. And this is exactly what we see of the change that Zephaniah is describing that God will do in the hearts of the remnants, those who are blessed. Zephaniah's prophecy is more along the lines of Isaiah 6. You remember the story of the prophet who was called by God and taken up and given a vision, a picture of heaven? He sees the throne room, he, he sees the sights and the sounds, and he's, he's impacted by it. Listen to his cry out in verse 5. As he sees the sights of heaven, this prophet says, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. How does he react to seeing the greatness of this God? He's impacted by it. To the fact that he recognizes himself a sinner. And what takes place? An angel takes a coal from the altar and places it right upon the lips that Isaiah says are unclean. And he says, your sin is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. And then all of a sudden we hear this question. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And the changed Isaiah says, here I am, send me. It's a picture of the change of heart, but also the change of words. Pure words, words that are about God and the worship of God. But it's not just simply our words or our lips, it's also our lives that are changed. Look at the end of verse 9. They will call upon the name of the Lord, that's with their lips, And they will serve him with one accord. That's with their lives. They're changed inwardly. Now they want to serve him. They want to worship him. They want to honor him. In all that they do, with all of their being, they're changed. Friends, note this complete overhaul. It began in the heart. It worked itself out in the lips and now in the lives. And they're changed. But also notice one of the ways that this change is evident. Hear this. It's unity. It's unity. The idea there is one accord. They, they, they sit together. They stand together. They worship together. They serve together, 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 side by side. Unity, shoulder to shoulder for the glory of God. This complete unity is a picture of the work of God in their lives. And yet the scope of this change continues as you look on in verse 11. Notice again the phrase, for for on that day or the day of the Lord. He's going to do something in them, and that production in in them is going to be producing something out of them. And what is produced out of them is works of humility. Humility is going to be key. Look at verse 11. You will not be put to shame because of your former deeds. Your rebellions, I will remove from your midst your proud ones. You shall no longer be haughty, but humble in my mountain. Humility. The change that God brings produces gospel humility. Not shame, but gospel humility. An understanding that one cannot save themselves. That salvation is purely the work of God. That's why one of the evidences of a changed life is humility. The Apostle Paul talks about this in Ephesians 4, verses 1 and 2. He says, I therefore, a prisoner from the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner of the calling to which you've been called. And notice the identifying quality. In humility, with all humility, humility 
is a family trait of being in the family of God. Humility. Verse 12 goes on to talk about humility a little further. It talks about the gospel change producing humility for those who seek refuge in God. He says, I will leave in your midst the humble and the lowly. Why? Because they're going to seek for their joy in me. They're going to seek for their joy in the Lord, in Christ. And finally, we come to verse 13. Those who've been changed now live in constant humility, but also peace. Notice their humility as it works itself out. It says, to those who are left, they do no injustice. Their actions are different. They're not living for themselves. They're living for God. They're caring for others. Those who have been changed by this gospel, those who are left will not speak no lies. Those who are left will not use their mouths to speak deceitfully. Not only is their actions different and humble, but also their speech is different and humble. And all the while, they rest, and none of them are afraid. None of them are afraid. They're truly at peace because they're not living in shame. They're living in a gospel-changed heart of humility that recognizes they couldn't change themselves anyway. It's God who saved them from beginning to end. It's God who gave them new heart. It's, the, it's God's work in them. Friends, the bottom line is this. Until we've been changed, we really don't know who we are. Remember Isaiah? Remember the fact that once he saw the glory of God, he really began to understand who he was. That's one of Calvin's big questions. Is it that we know God first or we know ourselves first? When he says, well, we really don't know ourselves until we know God. That's why God has given us the word, so we can see what purity and holiness and beauty looks like. You know, when I went to the jeweler to get my wife's engagement ring, they got out and they showed me a bunch of diamonds. But they didn't just throw them on the counter, did they? You know this. They put them on a black felt kind of whatever. <laughs> Words are not coming to me right now. But they, what do they do? They put them on that. You know why they do that? Because the brilliance and the beauty of the diamond is then seen against the contrast of the black, dark felt. And that's the story of our lives. The beauty of Christ is seen against the blackness of our heart, the sin of our insides. And it makes God that much more special to us because we really begin to see how ugly we are, how selfish we are, how unholy we are, and we begin to see how beautiful and how rich and how pure he is. And that's the beginning of the change in us. When we start to experience that, it's a good thing. People often come to me and say, Pastor, there's no way I could be saved. I'm just so sinful. I said, Brother, you're already on the right road. <laughs> the fact that you know you're sinful, that's a gift from God. That he allows you to see the contrast because many people in the world think they're doing okay. As I heard one preacher say, God's not that mad, and we're not that bad. That's what most people think. But friends, that's not true. God is mad, and we are bad. But the beauty is God's grace is amazing. That he would reach down and to change us completely. It's crazy to think that he's changing us so that we begin to resemble the beauty of Christ. 
He's changing us in the sense of who we are with our lips and our actions so that our lips praise him and our lives praise him. And it's coming and rooted out of humbleness that we understand we cannot save ourselves, but he has truly saved us. And so this change is a gift from God. It's sourced from who God is. It, its scope is wide and, and perfect. But did you ever wonder, how does it come about? I mean, we know that it comes about from God. And we know that God uses his word. That's why we gather on Sundays around the word of God. We understand that God is using this to change us. But God uses his witnesses. He uses his witnesses. Look at verse 10. My worshipers, the daughters of my dispersed ones, shall bring my offering. My worshipers, the daughters of my dispersed ones, shall bring my offering. The dispersed ones, who is that? Well, that's what Zephaniah has been warning them about. Because of their wickedness, because of their evil, because of their sin, judgment was going to come. And Deuteronomy explains what that judgment would be for disobedience. What was the curse for disobedience? Deuteronomy 4.27 says, And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. This people who had their own land, their own name, their own identity, they had their own place of worship in the temple, all of that would be destroyed and they would be scattered because of their sin. And yet, the grace of God is also found in that book, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 3, it says, Then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you. Don't miss that word. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. He will have mercy on you, and he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. And then he goes to explain how far they have been scattered. Look at verse 10. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshipers, the daughters of my dispersed ones, shall bring my offering. All the way down to Cush, one of the farthest remote regions the place where they were in, in isolation from the truth of God. He will bring his people. These daughters of my dispersed shall bring my offering. Note the phrase daughters, the offspring, the dispersed ones. Eventually this would include both Jew and Gentile worshiping side by side with their lips and their lives in their humility for the glory of God. They would be bringing their sweet offering to the Lord. So understand this, the scattering of judgment would actually produce the gathering of worship. Did you hear that this morning? The scattering of judgment would actually be used by God to produce the gathering of worship of both Jews and Gentiles. See, while many scattered and they were, they were punished, many of those who were scattered chose to live just like the nations. But not all of them. Some of them, even when they were experiencing God's discipline, they repented. And they brought their lives more into conformity through humility. They, they began to, to allow their lips to speak more pure things. Their lives began to be a show of God's grace. And they were a witness to the nations. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. You know these stories. When they were in captivity in Babylon in 586 and forward, there are stories of those who remained faithful and acted as witnesses, the scattered who began to gather. You know who they are? Story of Daniel. Story of the three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know those stories. 
We know those stories because in the face of difficulty, what did they do? They lived out for the Lord. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego wouldn't ultimately bow a knee to a pagan god. They wouldn't bow a knee to the worship of anyone or anything other than the living and true God in a pagan culture. And they were going to be thrown into the fiery furnace so hot that the hairs of those who threw the wood in were singed. And yet when they were thrown in, God was with them. And Nebuchadnezzar saw this, and this is what Nebuchadnezzar the king says. Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I will make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their house laid in ruins. For there is no other god who is able to rescue in this way. One of the most amazing parts of that story, it says when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of that fiery furnace, not even the smoke, the smell of smoke was on them. That's how much God protected them. In the midst of the scattering, they were beginning to gather. Worshippers, Gentile worshippers, but they weren't alone. The story of Daniel himself was thrown into the lion's den. Again, we see a picture of his faith, his humbleness, and how God uses it as King Darius, a different king at this time, who begins to acknowledge God after he sees God's protection of Daniel from the lions. Listen to what the king writes. King Darius wrote to all the people, nations, and languages that dwell on the earth, peace be multiplied to you, he says. He's, no, he's, my decree is of peace. Listen to why. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. Peace is found in the worship of the true God. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were scattered. They were put into captivity, exile. And yet, because of their repentance and their love and their faith for the true God, guess what happened? They began to gather people even when they were scattered. And this isn't anything new. This goes all the way back to the book of Exodus. In fact, we see that Egyptians actually left with the Israelites when they left Egypt. Here, Exodus chapter 12, verse 38. A mixed multitude also went up with them. A mixed multitude of Gentiles, Egyptians, who saw the powerful hand of God displayed through the ten plagues that Moses and Aaron did as God showed his power over all the gods of Egypt. The Egyptians left with them. In the scattering, there became a gathering. See, after this, we see clearly the power of God. And after all, isn't that what we saw earlier when we talked about Isaiah? The one who stand in the throne rooms and he saw the glory of God. He couldn't help but say, woe is me. And when he was purged and clean, guess what he wanted to do? He wanted to be the one who was sent. He wanted to be the one who was used for the king's glory. That's what he desired. Church, how about you this morning? Do you desire to truly be used for the king's glory? That in the midst of this scattering all over the earth, that you understand your purpose and goal is to see people gathered for the king. Gathered in worship so that their lips and their lives would be used for his glory. That you would live in such a way of humbleness 
and understanding the importance of who King Jesus is that you would seek that others may know him and worship him. Friends, that's what the good news does. It changes us from the inside out so that we no longer are living for ourselves like those in the Tower of Babel era. No, we're now living for Christ, the one who saved, the one who came to die so that we could live. Friends, that's the good news. And here's the even better part. You don't have to change anybody. God's the one who changes them. Your job is to simply be his witness. Simply live out the change God is doing in you. And guess what? God will use all of the scattering in your life to gather his people together. That's a beautiful truth. I don't have to change anybody. I just have to be faithful. See, we're called to be his witnesses. We're called to live out a humility, a peace where we absolutely trust God in all things. We're to be different than the people of Babel. We're not to live for ourselves. We're to live for the one who saves. We're to worship God with both our lips and our lives. We're to stand side by side with others, put our arms around them, and sing the praises to our Lord. That's our goal. That's our passion. That's our purpose. The psalmist, I think, captures it best in Psalm 57, verse 9. Here's words. He says, I, I, me, I will give thanks to you, O Lord. I will give thanks to you among all the people. I will sing praises to you among all the nations. Friend, as you sit there in that pew right now, going through whatever you're going through, are you willing to sing praises to the Lord? Are you willing to let your lips and your lives be used for his honor? Are you willing to make sure that all the nations and all the people know who King Jesus really is and the power he really has? That's what we've been called to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we bow our heads, as we sit here and just reflect upon the truth of the fact that you are the one who changes And the change you provide is better than any change this world tries to provide because you change not just the outside, you change the inside. You give us a new heart. You make it so our lips can truly speak pure things as they speak of worship for you. You change us so that ultimately we can live lives of worship for you. You change us so that we live humbly and not in shame, but we live humbly before you because we recognize that all good things truly come from you. We're to be your witnesses, Lord. And what a beautiful opportunity it is for each of us. You've scattered us in different neighborhoods and different families. You've scattered us all over down river for the purpose of gathering individuals for you. So Lord, help us to be on mission. Help us to be faithful like those in the hall of faith who have been faithful even in the face of difficulty. Some have been really persecuted. Some have really suffered and yet they were faithful. God, we pray that we would be faithful. Lord, we pray for our church planters all over Michigan and in the United States and even into the UK and those all over the world, Lord, who are proclaiming the good news of Jesus. They're scattered all over the world, but we pray that they would be gathering people for you. Lord, we pray for our foreign missionaries. Some of them are in really tough areas, Lord, in difficult situations. We pray that as they're scattered all over the globe, that they would be gathering people for you. 
May their lips be used for you. May their lives be used for you in the worship of you. May we all stand side by side in one accord, shoulder to shoulder, singing your praises for you and you alone are worthy. We pray this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, please visit us online at fpchurch.tv.